number three, and uh, there's there's several things. I mean, there's more in here uh, in these 30 verses, obviously, than we could preach and teach and talk about this morning. Even though it's not a prophetic chapter, it's part of Daniel's prophecy. Uh, it's part of the practical teaching of Daniel. There's there's three or four practical chapters in here, and the others are prophetic chapters. Uh, and this is partly practical, but I, I do believe there are some things in here that help us uh, see the day and hour that we live in and, and can be considered prophetic in their nature. Now, even though they don't give us a prophecy, so to speak, they can be considered prophetic in their nature. And those are some of the things I want to point out to you this morning uh, from chapter 3 here. Uh, we're going to take the time to read the entire chapter. Uh, I, I love the chapter. I love uh, what God gives us here. And uh, we're going to read the entire thing, and then I'll go back and we'll give you some things that the Lord has given to us, hopefully that'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you today. We'll begin in verse number 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then in herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that's a tongue twister there, worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. <clears throat> they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? <clears throat> now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound, the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalter, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast in the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. <coughs> then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And, the command, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in his haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon, whom, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. In the, in the midst, or, or the last part of Verse 15 is uh, what got me to studying this chapter on a regular basis. What made it become one of my favorite to study in God's Word. 
because it's inexhaustible. There's just always something new that comes out of it. In verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar is angry. Remember, they've brought the three Hebrews to him, and he gives them an opportunity to, to right their wrong. He's, he's mad. <clears throat> if, you, if you read the text, it says he's angry when they come and tell him about, you know, these three not obeying. But then when you get down to this verse, he says, okay, boys, I'm going to give you a chance. All right? And uh, he said in verse uh, 19, after they refused, we're going to go back and fill in the blanks, but in verse 19, he said, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against them. In other words, he went from just being upset with them to now he's just downright mad. You, you know, it's kind of like when your children do something wrong and you and you it comes to your attention you kind of want to give them a chance you know to see how they'll respond to to being confronted with wrong and if they respond right then you know you you extend a little grace and mercy but if they you know well, no, Daddy, I, I, I did not do that, Daddy. And you know they did because you didn't have to have a witness. You saw them do it with your own eyes. You, you know what I'm saying? And they just flat out, no way around it, lie. I did not do it. You know how that makes you feel, that anger. That you just bold-faced lie to me like that? Well, that's Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's upset with them to start with. He gives them a chance, and then he just downright gets angry with them. And here, here's, here's what, what he said in verse 15 that leads up to this anger and this frustration. He says, If you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And he asked this question. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? And those four words, who is that God? Who is that God? I remember when, when the Lord just first spoke to me about those four words. Who is that God? And I just got to thinking, well, who is God? And, well, that never ends. I'm still thinking about it all these years later. I'm still reading in this chapter, and I'm still studying from this chapter on who that God is. You can't exhaust God and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and all the things that he has for us. It's just unbelievable. Then when you get over to verse 29, after everything's taken place and the story's coming to an end, he, he said, I'm making a decree that everybody's going to worship their God. Why? And he was still angry, wasn't he? He said, I'll tell you what, if you don't worship him, we're going to burn your house down. We're going to cut you up in pieces and bury you, and then we're going to burn your house down. He, he was serious about this decree. Why? He said, because I'm going to tell you all who that God is. He said, there is no other God. 
that's where we all have to get to in our Christian walk. That's where all of us have to come to at some point in our Christian faith. We have to get to the place in life where we ask the serious question, who is that God? And we confront ourselves with just who God is. I've been mentioning the stars here lately in a lot of different messages, you know, and the fact that God only gave them five words in all of creation. All these like 12 trillion galaxies, I told you a week or so ago, outside of the Milky Way. All of them stars and all of them galaxies. And God didn't, he didn't even have nothing to say about them. Just, oh, yeah, I put them out there too. We can't understand the magnitude and the greatness of who God is. And to think that we can manipulate God or that we could do something without God or that we could do anything on our own, it's just amazing. And it's futile. It's a hopeless effort. We don't do anything without God. Well, I got up and dressed myself, preacher, and came over here to church today. Well, let me just ask you this. If you, you know, you feel so confident in your abilities because you could do that, whose air are you breathing? Oh, you're just being silly. No, whose air are you breathing? Can you manufacture air in your lungs on your own? You, you cannot live without God. Even lost people, people that claim that there is no God, the most staunch atheist that walks the face of this earth, he lives because God has grace and mercy on his hell damn soul. We cannot do anything without God. And the sooner we realize that in our life, the easier our life will become. It doesn't mean that there won't be any problems in life. It just means that we know the one that's got the problems in his hand. I mentioned this a week or so ago, and if you write in your Bible, you ought to write it somewhere on one of these pages. These two, this chapter usually takes up two pages in the Bible. You ought to write this on one of those pages I'd rather be with God in the fire than be without God out of the fire. You let that sink in and you'll realize you need to know the same God that these three Hebrew boys knew. There's a lot of things about God that I'd like to preach about, a lot of things that I've written down here in, in these verses that, that show us who God is and, and all the things that God is. But I, I want to bring out something different to you than that this morning. In verse 18, the Bible says, But if not, but if not, he already said in, they'd already said in verse 16, We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. They didn't have to think about it. They'd already made the decision that they were going to serve God, they were going to follow God. It didn't matter what, so they didn't have to think about it. Sometimes we have to stop and think, well, am I going to do that or not do that? I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit of God confronts you with something out of his word, there's no debate. You're either going to do it or you're going to be out of fellowship with God if you don't. That's the, that's the scripture. 
So it was not up for debate with them. We're going to do it. In verse 18, they said, but if not, even if God chooses not to deliver us out of your hand, we're still not going to serve you. Still not going to do what you want us to do. There's a lot of people spend their whole life studying to get this thing called a Ph.D., I don't even know what that means. What is that? A doctor of philosophy? Is that what a PhD stands for? I don't need one of them. Because philosophy won't get you anywhere. But I got a PhD. And it's called Past Having Doubt. And everybody needs to get a PhD. You need to get to the point where you don't have any doubt in the God that you serve. You need to get to the point where you trust him wholeheartedly, 100% with everything you got every day of your life, and you don't worry about anything. Paul wrote, be careful for nothing, but in everything give thanks. That means even in the bad times, give thanks. Even in the midst of the problems, give thanks. Don't worry about it. Don't fret over it. That's what he meant when he said, be careful for nothing. Don't let it get you down. Get a Ph.D. Just just trust in him and know that he's got it under control. They said, even if he don't deliver us, we're not going to serve you. They had a Ph.D. They, they had respect. Look there in verse 18. They said, be it known unto thee, O king. They were respectful to the king. A lot of times today in, in Christianity, we don't respect authority. We don't respect People, we don't respect, respect positions. Y'all wonder why I drink a lot of water. It's not because I'm thirsty, but I take medicine that dries out my mouth, and the more I talk, the drier it gets. So you kind of get in a bad position when what you do is talk. So. But we, we ought to learn to respect people, whether they agree with us or not. Whether we like them or not, it's just like the presidency. I didn't like the former president we had. If that bothers you, I'm sorry. It's okay. But I didn't like him. But I still respected the office of the president of the United States. And I didn't go around trying to throw him under the bus or drag him. To, I mean, he, he did a good job of that himself. I mean, you could just point and say, well, there it is. You don't have to talk bad about it. But that's what the whole thing right here, what I want you to see is the respect that they had for Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't just, you know, mealy mouth and bad mouth and claim rights and this. They just were respectful, responsible adults, and they said, we're not going to serve you no matter what. And we can do that. We can protest and be respectful. We can disagree and be respectful. But we want to fall, see, onto the other side like the devil's crowd and be mean and, and be boisterous and, and, you know, try to get attention and all. And that's not God's way. You can still protest and be respectful. Uh, but in the end, there was no retreat. They decided we're just going to go with God. All right? A lot of things about doubt and who God is uh, in these verses. But jump back to verse 4. And here's where we're going to take the part of the message for the next few minutes. Out of verse number 4 uh, down through about verse number 
seven. So you see the picture, all right? They're on the side of the hill here, the plain of Dura. The image is set up uh, before all the people. Uh, and the cubit is about 18 inches, just to give you a little bit on this statue that's set up there. It, at the base of it, uh, it, it's about nine feet wide. The, the whole thing is about nine feet wide. And then it's about 90 feet tall. About 90 feet tall. All right? I don't even know something that big to compare it to, but it's big. It's four feet thick at the base. Nine feet wide, uh, 90 feet tall, and four feet thick at the base of it. It's made out of gold, all right? The, the cubic feet, that's like the square footage today, 3,645 cubic feet, all right? It would have weighed 4,400,000 pounds. It was a big deal. It was a big statue. Here's the estimated cost in today's dollars. It would cost $92 billion to build it today. That's a pretty big outfit there, $92 billion. Me and you are not going to get along, bud. you got to go somewhere else. That's a big statue. A lot of people gathered around. They could all see it. So you, you get the picture, statue, all the people. Sometimes when we hear all the people, we don't really think about all the people. But it's all the people. And he lists who all, you know, is there, all the dignitaries, all the, the higher-up people, all the way down to the servants. They're all there, and the herald cries out in verse 4. Then in herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, listen, O people, nations, and languages. I told you this has something to do with our day and our genera generation. And, and it, it, I believe it's a prelude or, or a, 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 it points to the fact that we are right before the tribulation, uh, right before the rapture of the church that's going to take place because we have a, a counterfeit Christianity going on in the world just like Nebuchadnezzar set up this counterfeit God and this counterfeit image here. Okay? And I believe if you'll just hang in here with me for a few minutes, you'll see where we are in the world today when I talk about counterfeit Christianity. Everything that God has real, the devil has a counterfeit for. He's got something to pass off as a fake. All right? I got about nine or ten things here that are counterfeits. I'm not going to go through this morning. Uh, but just know that everything that God has real... The devil has a counterfeit. So here's the first thing about counterfeit Christianity. Here's the first thing. Number one, you see here there's a global command. A global command. He says, oh, people, nations, and languages. That covers everybody. That's not just the locals. It's not just the community. People, that's people. Nations, that's all the nations. And then languages, that's all the different languages that are out there. Everybody. A global command. It, it goes out to everybody. Well, what's the world pushing towards today? Globalization. A one-world way of thinking. 
a one-world government, a one-world system that runs everything. They, they want everything to just be one system. You know, a lot of things, that'd be good, you know. Uh, but in the majority of things, uh, it would sink us. But the idea behind the church in this, get beyond the global command and, and this ideology of a global rule and a, 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 a global authority, here's how it applies to the church today. We think, well, we'll never, the church will never fall for that. We'll, we'll never, uh, you know, we'll, we'll never believe that lie. We'll never fall into that trap. We'll never be deceived that way. Well, we already have. Because what all you see, and I'm just talking about in America. Don't worry about the rest of the world, but just right here in America. All we see of our American Christianity anymore is we all want to just be a bunch of cookie-cutter churches. We just want everybody to do the same way. You know, well, this works over here. Let's you do this. We go to all these seminars and workshops and this, that, and the other, you know. Do church this way and do church this way and you'll fill the building, have to tear down the building, build bigger buildings and, you know, just what do they want you to do? They want everybody to do it the same way. Just cookie-cutter church. Globalized Christianity. Let's just all do it the same way. I'm sorry, I just don't like the same things everybody else likes. And God didn't make us all the same. He made us all different. You read the Bible and you just look at the 12 men he picked out and the different personalities of the 12 men he picked out to be with him. Just take Peter and John, for instance. You know that John in, in the book, in his, his record of the life of Christ, in, in John's writing, he never one time mentions himself by name. Never one time. He just always referred to himself as the one Jesus loved or something different, but he never called himself by name. He was just humble. He was in the back. Well, where's Peter? Loud mouth, wide open, right in the front, always getting in trouble, always sticking his foot. He's kind of like me, you know, just always in trouble. But different. They did things different. And you know what? We're people, and we do things different. We're not all going to be the same. We don't all like the same things. What's one of the biggest controversies in church in the last 10 to 20 years? What kind of music we're going to play? What kind of music we're going to listen to? What kind of music? Have the kind you like, as long as it honors God. That's the point. You know, as long as it honors God. There's music that I like and that I enjoy that I'm going to listen to and I'm talking about Christian music. I don't listen to worldly music, okay? Now, I'm not going to get on rock or country or this or that or that. I don't listen to worldly music. I just listen to, to, to God-focused, God-centered music, all right? But I listen to a wide variety of them, a wide variety. Some of you probably think, I can't believe he would ever listen to that. Well, you drive by my car sometime, let me roll the window down. You'd be shocked what I might be rocking to in there. <laughs> but it's for me and God and my worship out there. But when I come in here and I worship corporately with God's people, you know what? That's a little different. 
And it was always different in the scriptures too. When they got together and they did things, they did it a little different. Because it's, it's just respect. It goes back to that thing of respect. And honoring God and honoring His holiness and honoring Him for who He is. You know what? Because what I like don't matter. Because worship ain't about me. And how I feel ain't about me. It's all about Him. And when I come in this building, it ceases to be about what I like, but it's all about what He deserves. And He deserves my attention. He deserves my holiness. He deserves my righteousness. He deserves all. Anything I could attempt to be that would be good, that's what He deserves. I can't be good, but he deserves my attempt and my effort at it. Does that make sense? And when we come in here together, that's what he expects because it ain't about me. And if if the preaching, you know, there's preachers that preach the truth, but they do it in such a way that it's full of stories and jokes because all they want to do is make people laugh or get them to like them where they'll come back. Well, then what's it gotten to be about? It's all about them. It's not about the Word. It's not about the Lord. It's not about what is the message, you see. It's different. When we walk through the doors and we come in here together, it's not about us. It's about Him. And it shouldn't appeal to our flesh. It shouldn't appeal to any, anything other than us worshiping Him. And putting him on the throne. The, the, the preaching, the music, anything. So there's a, a global command that wants everything to be the same. All under uh, one rule, one authority. Uh, and then I mentioned, I got off into the music, but that's the second point in verse number 5. He said, at what time you hear the sound. You hear the sound. And he goes through all these lists. A different instruments. You have a different version. They'll be listed different there. Talks about different instruments. But they're all the same thing. They're musical instruments. And in the middle he says, And all kinds of music bow down and worship the golden image. So what does that let us know? Music does what? It sets our heart towards worship of something. All that music, all that noise, sets our heart toward worshiping something. That's why it can't be about the flesh. Well, it feels good, preacher. Makes me want to tap my foot. I like toe-tapping music, too. I like to clap my hands, too. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do that in church. It's not what I mean. But when the focus gets away from Christ, when we're more interested in tapping our foot and clapping our hands than we are worshiping Christ, then we got the priority wrong. You see? So we've got a global command, and then you got a global sound. We've got cookie-cutter churches, and our music in churches now sounds the same as the world. It, it looks the same as the world, sounds the same as the world, and we act the same as the world in churches today. Maybe not in this church, but you just pick one and go to it on any given Sunday, and there'll be more smoke and lights, and, and, and I'm not talking about good light where you can read your Bible light. I'm talking about smoke and all kind of colored lights. You'd think you was down at the joint somewhere. And don't ask me how I know, because you ain't been lily white your whole life either. I've been in a joint or two. I know what they look like. 
And there's a lot of churches that that's all they do is mirror some bar joint somewhere, some lounge, some concert hall. And that's not church. You can argue over semantics and methods and cultures all you want to, but I'm telling you, God's Word is, is right here. It's clear to us. It shows that it, in the day we live in, all we're doing is setting things up for the devil and the counterfeit that he's trying to sell us. A global command, a global sound, and then look in verse number 6. <clears throat> a global command, a global sound, and then a governmental enforcement. A governmental enforcement. Verse 6, And whoso falls not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Well, who's going to do that? Who's going to do the casting? The government. Why? Because you've got a state church. You've got a global cookie-cutter program. This is how we're going to do it. And if you don't do it this way, you're going to get punished for it. And the government's going to come in and run things. You, you, you may not want to get your head out of the sand long enough to realize it, but I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, if the election two years ago would have went the other way, we may not be having church today. Because it's not about Democrat and Republican as far as them two names go, okay? So don't get hung up on a name. But those people that are on that side, they have zero tolerance for Christianity, for God, and, and for any kind of authority. They want a socialist government. And that's exactly what's taking place in the scripture that I'm presenting to you this morning. That's what the Democratic Party is looking for. I'm not preaching politics. I'm not preaching. I'm just telling you this is what the devil is setting up before our very eyes. And it's time that we wake up and we see where we live. And we just quit playing with things and we just quit thinking everything's going to be all right because it's not just going to be all right. Do you think that, that these three Hebrew boys just thought, well, you know, if we'll just conform, everything will be okay. If we just go along to get along, everything will be all right. Look there in verse 7. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornets, flutes, harps, sackbuts, stalks, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image. So you got a global command, you got a global sound, you got a governmental enforcement of the rules. Now what you got in verse 7 is a social pressure. Everybody's doing it. If you've raised kids, you've heard that. If you was a kid, you said that. Everybody else is doing it. Mom and Daddy probably said, well, if you want to be dumb like everybody else, then go ahead. I mean, we know all that stuff. Not anything we have to beat. But we, we go along to get along. We conform. 
social pressure. Let me ask you something. Could you turn off your device, computer, tablet, cell phone, whatever it is? Could you turn off your device for 24 hours and do without Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the rest of that stuff that's out there? Could, could we live without that? You see? Social pressure. We got to know what everybody's doing. We got to know what's going on. Who said what? Who did what? Where's it happening? What's the breaking this and that? And all it is is gossip. It's like old fashioned party line back in the day. If you lived out here in this part of the country, right over here in Trustville, you had a party line. You picked your phone up. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. You picked your phone up. Some people don't even know what a phone is anymore. And there's people talking on there. And you just listened in. Because everybody was on the same line. And that's all we're doing now. We call it social networking. And it's the most unsocial thing that's ever been in the history of the world. Because people hide behind the computer screen. They hide behind the cell phone and try to become something they're not tell things that really when you investigate aren't true and we're sucked into it why because everybody's doing it if i don't facebook and twitter people think i'm in the backwoods well go get in the backwoods that's where god hangs out at i don't care how many pretty pictures with bible verses you post on there you know how many people it's going to change about zero because what changes people is for other people to actually invest in them. That, that's what winning someone to Christ is. When you invest in that person. When you spend time with that person. When you live in front of that person so they can see. That's what makes a difference. That's what it's all about. That's what it takes. Social pressure is killing us. It's wanting us to just conform, and we can't conform. I, I, I had a great revelation this morning. It's football season. I, I'll share it with you, and I'll be done. I don't, I, you know, I, I like to watch it. I don't claim, you know, favorites anymore. I just, I just like to watch the game. But I got to thinking... You know, there's only a handful out there that are consistent. You know, there's a lot of wannabe winners. And then there's people that they, that's just what they do. They just win. You know the difference in the ones that want to be winners and the ones that just win? And I'll say this right here. I am not an Alabama fan. I, I'm not against them. But it's like, you remember that old, uh, whatever, guru, wise man, whatever they called him, Gandhi? This is what he said. He said, if it were not for Christians, I'd be one. That's what he said. If it were not for Christians, I would be one. He said, I would believe in that God if they didn't act the way they acted. And you know what? 
if it were not for Alabama fans. I grew up in the 70s, back when it was tough, you know, and them Alabama fans was real obnoxious back then, and I was a little, anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with the preacher. My point is this, Alabama has established itself as a winning football program. They win, and the reason they win is because they stick to basic fundamentals. You remember I used the illustration a few weeks ago about Bear Bryant and the Liberty Bowl? I just need 11 middle block and 11 middle tackle. What's football all about? Why has Tom Brady and what's-his-name won all them Super Bowls, the Patriots? You know what's plastered all over their locker room and his favorite thing to say, Bill Belichick, do your job. Do your job. That means if it's your job to block, block. If it's your job to tackle, tackle. Don't worry if the wide receiver catches the pass or not. Just block. If you block, then the quarterback's got time, and he's got time, and we'll complete. Just do your job. Fundamentals. Basics. You know, it's no different at church. If we want to win, if we want to keep God, if we want God to be the dynasty and not the golden image and not Nebuchadnezzar and not the false gods of this world today, you know what? We can't conform to social pressure. We can't conform to globalism. We can't conform to whatever it is the rest of the world's doing. You know what we have to do? We have to stick to the basics and the fundamentals and do it God's way. And you know what? God will come out on top. If you still doubt God, read that story one more time. Because what happened? They said, bless God. They looked, looked around, boys. Everybody else is bowed down but us. We're the only ones. How would you like to have been one of them three? No one. He was going to the furnace. We're the only ones that hadn't conformed. The only ones that hadn't bowed down. I think we might be in trouble. Like God. They go before the king, and in their confidence, they say, throw us in there or not. Whether he saves us or not, we're still not serving you. Get past the doubt. Get, get, get past yourself and, and what you want and what you think and put your faith in a God that can get you out of the fire. He won't just get you out of it. He'll go through it with you. Because he didn't save them from it. He saved them out of it. And that's our problem today. We want to be saved from it. I'm guilty most days. But if you go through it, you learn so much more. You trust him so much more. The fellowship's so much sweeter when you come out on the other side. Why? Because they stood. Ephesians chapter 6, he said, put on the whole armor of God. Boom, 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 boom. And having done all, what? To stand. When you've done everything you know to do, just stand. Stand for truth. Stand for right. Stand for God. Hey, we live in a world that don't like that. We live in a world that just, that just wants to, to commercialize and sanitize. and You know, 
I, I could go on and on this morning. I mean, I'm just wound up tighter than eight-day clock. You think about Peter in his first sermon there in the book of Acts. Peter did everything but cuss them Jews. He told them how wicked they was. He told them how bad they was. And he blamed the crucifixion on them. Lord goodness, if the preacher mentions some kind of sin in church, we get mad. We, we want to, you know, pet me up, pat me on the back kind of message. That's where the world is today. That's where the church is. That's how far we've gotten from God and the way God set things up. See? We ought to want Holy Ghost conviction. We ought to want God to speak to our heart. We ought to want God to challenge us. I just want to be better every day. I want to serve him more every day. And it, it takes a day. It's just today. Tomorrow may not get here. If it does, I'll be thankful that I have another one. But if it don't, I want to do all I can today. See? I, I, I'm going to stop. I don't know if I'm finished, but I'm going to stop. Let's bow our heads. I hope the Lord's not through. I hope that... Uh, You'll be open to him today. I hope that you can see with his help that we live right on the edge of eternity. See, we live in time. We, we live in measured time, 24-hour days, seven-day weeks, four-week months, 12-month years. We, we live, everything we do is measured by time. But we're living right on the edge of eternity. Because once the rapture takes place, time for us ends. Time for God's children ends. We're on an eternal time clock. These scriptures prove that that's where we live. I didn't make it up. God wrote it to us give us what it was going to be like. Just the same scenario as it was in the book of Daniel. And all he wants to know is we have the same courage as those three men to stand up in the world we live in and not conform to what's going on around us. Not just go along to get along. Not just accept everything that comes down the pike. To actually stand for truth and for righteousness. Stand for the fundamentals of the faith. Stand up for the things that have gotten us to where we are today. See, God's marching on. He's not slowing down for anybody or anything. And we have a great opportunity. We can go with him. We can stand with him. Or we can continue to try to do it on our own and continue to fall on our face and see our efforts falter and wonder why it doesn't work. Father, we love you this morning. We're thankful for your word. God, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed in this moment, God, we just ask you, the Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Encourage us, Lord. Help us to live for you. God, there may be someone here today that's struggling along the path. God, they need strength. They need encouragement. They need holy help from heaven today. God, would you just be real to them? Give them courage today. God, maybe there's some believers here that 
Lord, we want to move a little closer to you. They've just been dabbling with things that, God, they want to get a little more serious about them. God, would you give them courage, give them the strength that they need. Lord, there's somebody here today maybe that they've been playing with religion their whole life. They've never really had a relationship with you. They've had church and they've had the Bible. And they've had all these things. They've never really had a relationship with you. Never owned up to the fact that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. God, maybe today be the day you speak to their heart. The Holy Spirit will speak to their heart. Challenge them about their eternity and their salvation. God, whatever you do, we're going to give you honor for it. We're just going to praise you and give you glory. With our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, let's stand together for just a minute. Being respectful of those around us. Nobody looking around. If it's you, please. Maybe you'd just like to come this morning and acknowledge the fact to the Lord that you realize where we are in the world. You want to get a little closer to Him. You want to get to the point like these three young men did that you don't doubt God anymore. But by faith, you just want to move forward. Do whatever it is that He's put in front of you to do. You just take these few minutes. You do that right now. You come while she plays. We'll wait just for a moment. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts and lives here today, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll just go with us throughout the remainder of this day. Keep us safe. Help us to enjoy a long weekend. And pray, God, that you'll just bless all the families, Lord, as they're here today and whatever their activities might lead to tomorrow. Lord, just bless us and keep us safe. And we'll love you and we'll honor you. Give you praise in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can look this way just for a minute. Don't forget all the things that we mentioned. In the, uh, get a copy of the bulletin. Uh, look over that. Uh, it's a holiday weekend. All right, I don't know what you're used to here, uh, but I'm used to when we have holidays, special days, and special events, uh, we take Sunday night off. So uh, everybody keeps talking about you're our pastor. You're our pastor. We won't leave you. So I'm making my first executive decision. We're not having church tonight. Everybody take the night off. Spend time with your family. Maybe you're going somewhere tomorrow. You get a little extra time on that. Uh, but enjoy your family this evening. Remember, God didn't make man for the day. He made the day for man. And so you spend time with him this afternoon and your family and Whatever you do, just do it in a way that honors him, and he'll be pleased. All right? Anything, any prayer requests, special requests, or something needs to be mentioned before we uh, get out of here this afternoon?
uh, well, yeah, far the Carolinas looks where it turned and headed to. Uh, I've been texting and talking back and forth with people the last two or three days. But, uh, yes, the coastal uh, Atlantic coast side could still get battered with some heavy rains and, and some wind. Uh, but it looks like they're going to be safe from the actual storm. But it, it may turn enough to where it just skirts the, the Carolinas as well. But just pray for that because that coastal area, uh, three, four years ago, Hurricane Matthew uh, went through there, flooded them out. And then last year, was it la last year, uh, 2018, it went right back through there again another hurricane that flooded the same people uh, that still hadn't rebuilt from Hurricane Matthew. Uh, hurricane, uh, but right, the one right before Michael, Irma or something, Harvey, Irma, something, went right back through there. And because I was there and left there to go to Panama City for Hurricane Michael. So just pray for all those folks that live in that coastal region that, that God will just continue to turn that thing on out to sea. I love going and helping them people, but right now uh, it'd be good if God just turned it away and sent it on out to sea. All right. Anything else? Pray, pray for the Wittens. No choir practice today. I messed that up, didn't I? I can see y'all can all pay me twenty dollars after church for getting y'all out of choir practice. Uh, but anyway, no. No choir practice this afternoon either, all right? So pray for the Wittens. Remember to pray uh, for their family. Unless the Lord does something, you know, Brother Jimmy just may. It's just days, hours. It's in the Lord's hand. Uh, but just pray for them uh, as they go through this, all right? Anything else? All right, you're dismissed.